0: Uh, taken directly from the words of Mary uh, in Luke chapter 1. Uh, it is known, is, it be, from its Latin name, it is known by the name Magnificat, because Mary begins by saying, uh, my soul magnifies the Lord. Um, so that is the passage we're going to be reading today. And we're We've got the tendency, as the Western church, maybe not so much as Baptists, you know, the church throughout history has probably um, missed, missed the boat on Mary one direction or the other. Either we have over-venerated her and turned her into, effectively, someone who functions like a goddess, that's what she looks like, you know, you you pray to Mary, you light candles for Mary, you give offerings for Mary, or... That's not necessarily what we do here. Or sometimes I think we overcorrect a little bit. That we don't give Mary the credit for what she did and what, uh, what she went through. Um, and, and the amount of faith and obedience that, that Mary had. That we're, We sing songs about, you know, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. We do it about his faith. When Mary had the same kind of faith that Abraham had, but we're hesitant to talk about her because of the way her name has been misused and mistreated. Uh, So today we're going to look at Mary as a character and her song that she sings in Luke chapter 1. And I want us to see if we can apply that a little bit to ourselves and maybe see what we can learn from the song of Mary. So if you'll stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word We're going to read Luke chapter 1. We're just going to read part of it. We're going to read verses 46 through 50. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For He has regarded the lowly state of His maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is His name. And His mercy is on those who fear Him from generation to generation. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the exemplary faith that You show us in someone like Mary. Lord, someone who was given a a, Completely incomprehensible task, an incomprehensible destiny. And she said, let it be to me as my, my God has decreed. Lord, we pray that we would have that kind of faith. And Lord, that we would see in Mary's song uh, the opportunity that all of us have for a story somewhat like Mary's. That the, the mighty one can do great things for us today. And his mercy will be on us if we fear him both our generation and those who come after. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, you can be seated. I've titled this this sermon, Rejoice in the God Who Saves, because I I, I think that's what we should be taking from this. That Mary, um, likely a teenager at this point in her life, a very young girl um, who was told... Um, Earlier in the chapter, uh, you you can flip there if you want to. In my Bible, it's actually on the same page. But just to give you the backstory, even though I'm pretty sure everybody here knows it. In verse 26, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Notice, by the way, the word that Luke has used at least twice by this point, And Mary is about to mention again. Parents, I will let you notice that and we'll just let that ride. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary brings it up again. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And then we see the faith. Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That's a pretty crazy thing to just have happen to you on a Tuesday, right? Like, I don't know if it was a Tuesday, but I'm just saying this kind of happens out of nowhere for Mary in a completely unexpected fashion. Because Mary kind of says, hey, uh, Gabriel, angel, whoever you are, this is not really how I expected to have a child. I don't understand how this is going to work. The angel says God's going to do it. Mary says, OK, if you say so. I believe you. And she did. And it was just that simple. She never questioned God. She just asked Him a question. And so she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who the angel also told her uh, was pregnant. Trust but verify, you know. Um, So she goes to see Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is in fact pregnant. And you get the famous story of John the Baptist still in his mother's womb, leaping in the presence of Mary. Not because Mary's present, but because Mary's child is. Jesus is present and John senses the presence of his Lord and begins leaping in the womb. And at that point, Mary begins to sing. Mary has a song to sing. And then we get this passage where she rejoices and magnifies the God who's done this amazing thing for her. And I want us to see the reasons this morning that Mary says God is worthy. And first I want us to see that God is worthy because of His saving work. Look at the first thing she says. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Now this is a New Testament book, right? This is the Gospel of Luke. It was written in Greek. But was Mary a Greek? No. Mary was a Jew. She was a Hebrew. And so her language... Though she may have known Greek, was more likely Aramaic with as much Hebrew as she could get. Hebrew was kind of a scholarly language. The fluent people in Hebrew were really the religious scholars based on the fact that Mary is from Nazareth. Uh, She was probably uh, low class to low middle class, not much formal education. She was very likely illiterate. But the main bulk of literature she would have heard her entire life would have been the Old Testament. She would have heard it in synagogues. She would have heard it recited. She would have been able to probably recite a great deal of it. And Hebrew poetry is very different from English poetry. You know, you know roses are red, violets are blue, Christmas is great, but I love Easter too. You know, it kind of rhymes. Okay? We rhyme Words. Ooh, ooh, great, two. So, English poetry, we rhyme sounds. <clears throat> Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme sounds. It rhymes ideas. So, it, co- it usually comes in sets of two lines. And those two lines are what we call parallel. It usually says the same thing twice, but the second line gives you a little bit more information about the first And the rest of the poem kind of works this way. So first, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now that word soul is the Greek word psyche. You probably know this word. Anybody ever taken psychology? This is the word from which we get psychology. But it doesn't just mean the way your mind works. In Greek, okay, we treat it that way. We use it in a very secular way. When we say psychology, most of the time a psychologist is not going to be concerned with spiritual things. They're concerned about the human mind and the brain and the way it works and the patterns of human thinking. Okay, I'm not saying there's not value in studying psychology, but I'm saying the Greek word psyche has more meaning than that. It means you, your mind, your person, your soul, what makes that part of you that is not physical, but it, it's, it makes you, you, okay? That every single one of us have the same type of brain. We have the same type of body, but there is something, even though our brains work, the same way. My, my wife may dispute that. She may say my brain doesn't quite work the way it should. But <coughs> um, as far as chemically, physically, the way they work, our brains all work the same way. Okay? But your personality is different than my personality. Your thoughts are different than my thoughts. Your memories are different than my memories. What makes you you is different from what makes me me. Psyche is the soul. It's the core of our being. And Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, I don't have to go into a Greek word to for you to understand the meaning of the word magnify. It means to make great. That's why when you look at a magnifying glass, you know, you take it and you put it over the little tiny words. It makes the words great. It makes them bigger. So, Mary doesn't mean she's literally making God bigger because you can't do that. God's already infinite. What she's saying is, my soul magnifies the Lord in the same way that when you've got a book you want to read and the words are too tiny, you get the little magnifying glass and you accentuate the part that you want to focus on. Okay? So, my soul magnifies the Lord. Well, what part of him? Because there's a lot of God, isn't there? Okay? What part of God is she magnifying? And my spirit has rejoiced in the God in God my Savior. This word pneuma in Greek is the, the word spirit in English. It's where we get the, the English word pneumatic. Okay? If you've got a pneumatic drill or something, it uses air. Between Hebrew and Greek, there's a lot of interplay between the word spirit and the word wind. It's this spiritual po- component of humanity. It's a no- Please don't say, oh, well, she said soul in the verse, first verse and spirit in the second verse. That means I've got my body, I've got my soul, I've got my spirit. Everywhere in the Bible that soul and spirit are, they can be used interchangeably. Okay, so there is the physical part of me and there is the spiritual part of me. Okay? God made Adam out of the dirt and then breathed into him the breath of life. Physical, spiritual. So, Mary's saying, the spiritual part of me has rejoiced in God, my what? Savior. Savior. Now, y'all, there's a lot of good things about God. There's the generosity of God, there's the, the power of God. There's the greatness of God, there's the strength of God, there's the beauty of God, but she's not pointing any of that out right now. The part of God that she wants to magnify is God as her Savior. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Now there's something interesting here. When she says, my soul, my psyche, my mind, the part of me that makes me me, the way I think, magnifies the Lord. That word magnifies is in present tense. In Greek, that means it's ongoing. Mary is saying, the way that I think, the way that I process the world, the way that I view the world that I live in, is through the lens of one who is continually making, seeking to make God's name great. I continually magnify the Lord. It's a way of life. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of speaking. It's a way of seeing the world. Why? What has happened to make Mary do that? The second line. My spirit has rejoiced. That's in a Greek tense that we don't have in English. I promise the rest of my sermon is not a grammar lesson. I promise. But this is in a Greek tense that we don't have in English. It's called aorist. To make it simply... Think of it, an aorist verb is kind of like a point on a line. It happens at a specific moment. So if something in Greek is in the aorist tense, that means a specific event happened at a specific time. It's not an ongoing kind of thing. Something happened, and so that something is the result, or that something is the cause of this first line. My soul magnifies the Lord because my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. What does Mary know that nobody else knows yet? Who's in her womb? Jesus. What is Jesus coming to do? Save the world. Jesus' name in Hebrew, Yeshua, means Yahweh Saves. Mary didn't get to pick Jesus' name because Mary didn't get to pick Jesus' mission. He had a purpose. He was coming to save the world. And Mary shows up. She sees Elizabeth in her old age pregnant. John leaps in Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth tells Mary why, and she says, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb, but why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And Mary's looking around her, and she says, I've been visited by an angel, my cousin's pregnant in her old age, her baby's leaping in her womb because he's in the presence of the baby in my womb. My cousin is gushing with Old Testament praise over what God has done and I'm just overwhelmed because it's true. It's all true. And she can't hold it in anymore and she breaks out in song because if this is true, the Savior is on His way. Her soul magnifies the Lord has God done great things for you? Has God saved you? Has there been a moment in your life where you fell on your knees and said, God, have mercy on me a Savior. You sent Jesus to me and until this moment, I have never come to you and said, God, save me. And Jesus saves you. And what should be the effect that has on your life? It should be an ongoing change in the way you think, the way you see the world, the way you view your life, the way you live your life. It should be a constant thing where when you go, you can say, my soul magnifies the Lord because my soul has rejoiced in the God who saved me. That one event changes the way the, the rest of your life works. <clears throat> and that happens throughout the New Testament. In Acts chapter 4 verses 18 through 20, you got some of the apostles who'd been preaching in the temple and the temple staff didn't like this, so they told them to stop. <clears throat> In verse 18, so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Y'all, I've never met somebody who knows Jesus that doesn't talk about him from time to time. Say, well, Josh, I know Jesus, but I never talk about him. Might I gently challenge you? Well, yeah. Okay, so the church, the church in the Bible is called the Bride of Christ, right? How many of y'all are married and never talk about your spouse? What kind of marriage is that if you're married but you never talk about your spouse? Talk well about your spouse. Says, well, I talk about them. <laughs> I do. That's not what I'm talking about. Oh Man, if, if you're married, and I don't know that because you never talk about them, best case, that means you don't even like them. Worst case, you feel a lot of emotion for them. But it ain't love. You see, there's no such thing as a Christian who don't talk about Jesus. And then second, look at what look at what happens when Jesus heals a man. Luke 8, 38-39 Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him but Jesus sent him away saying return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went on his way and proclaimed throughout the city what great things Jesus had done for him. When's the last time you told somebody the great things Jesus had done for you? Because if you don't tell them they're not going to know. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. That what is the number one thing that will change and renew your mind? Being saved will. Coming to Christ and getting a changed heart will renew your mind and make you see the world differently so that your soul will magnify, present tense, continually, the Lord. If you just don't care about the things of God... You don't care about his word. You don't care about Jesus. This is just a joke for you. This is just a waste of your time. You would rather be somewhere else. You would rather be doing somewhere doing something else. You would rather be, you know, I can think of a billion places I would rather be than with this church and these people singing these songs. If if Jesus is that to you, you probably don't know him. You probably don't know him. Because the equivalent to that is saying, I can't wait to get up and go to work in the morning because I'm tired of being in this house with this spouse. That's what it's like when you say I'm a Christian, but I don't want to be around the church. I don't want to go to church. I want to do church things. That's like saying I can't wait to get out of this house because I need to get away from this spouse of mine. But if you know them and you love them, man, they will change the way. Jesus will change the way you think. Jesus will change the way you view the world. And you will find yourself magnifying him and glorifying him for the great things he's done. That God is worthy of worship because of his saving work. The greatest thing Jesus ever did is, is, is offer himself for you, by the way. So God's worthy of worship because of His saving work. God's worthy of worship because He loves the lowly. Look at the second thing Mary says. For. Okay, so this is not a, this is not a therefore. This is a for. Um, I almost said when you, when you see a for, go back and see what the for is for for. But that doesn't work like therefore. <clears throat> he has regarded the lowly state of His maidservant. For behold... Henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Mary's giving you reasons. Mary's giving you reasons that she is glorifying and magnifying God her Savior. The first one is, she says, He has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. Then, all the generations after her, because she says, henceforth, okay, because, by the way, have you ever stopped to consider that Mary's current generation is not going to call her blessed? Have you ever thought about that? When somebody says, Mary, I didn't know you and Joseph had already gotten married. Well, we haven't. Oh. Joseph, are you? Just roll with it. Are you okay with this? Yeah. The baby's God. Okay. Because that happens every day. Does it? No. Think about the the family shame. Think about the ridicule. Mary had to endure that. And do you think that didn't go through her mind when Gabriel told her this? Do you think she didn't know what was coming? She did. She knew. She says, future generations are going to call me blessed. But she was willing to to endure this for her current generation. They'll, They'll bless me then, even if they don't bless me now. One day they'll know. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. One day people will know that this is of God. Even if they don't know it now. To put this in non-poetic English. God took notice of the lowly state of his maidservant. And from now on all generations are going to call me blessed. Because the mighty one has done great things for me. That's what she just said. Now this word maidservant. It's the Greek word doule. It's a feminine form of the Greek word doulos. Do you know what doulos means? It means slave. Mary viewed herself as God's property. He can do with her what he wants. And she's okay with it. Now y'all, that's... you. Can't view yourself much lower than that. Notice that Mary did not say, He has regarded the exalted righteousness of His servant. And all generations will call me blessed because I have done great things for God. Does she say that? How much of this is about her? None of this is. For he has regarded the lowly state of his slave girl. That he noticed me. Y'all, when we notice people, who do we normally notice? Who do humans notice? We notice the great ones. I cannot get past people. People actually fight about this. They fight about who's better, Michael Jordan or LeBron James. Basketball players. I have seen people. I hear hear your opinions. I disagree with you. But people get in like, they get heated about that. And it's about who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Muhammad Ali said, I'm the greatest. Jordan was the greatest. LeBron thinks he's the greatest. I see shaking heads. I disagree with you too. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> folks fight about who's the greatest you know what folks have never got in a fight about I had a pastor in seminary tell me or a professor in seminary tell me this who was also a pastor he said do you know what a church has never split over fighting over who was the most humble <laughs> no church has ever split because they were in a disagreement about who was most humble but do you know what churches do split over Who's the greatest? <clears throat> My Sunday school class is the greatest. No, ours is. My preferences are greater than yours. No, mine. Pianos, guitars. Pews, chairs. Chandeliers, recessed lighting. Carpet, tile. Suits, khakis. <laughs> Jeans, And they fight and fight and fight and fight and fight and fight and fight. Who's greater? Who's better? Who's... Shh. The great one isn't involved in the argument. The great one is on his throne and doesn't need us to argue about who's the greatest. We're the lowly one. And do you know what's amazing? The great one regards us. We make a mistake. I'm, I'm really glad that, that we get a chance to talk about this. Do you know, churches are not democracies? But pastor, we vote. Yes, but we're not a democracy. We're a dictatorship. Pastor, would you? I'm not the dictator. Jesus is the dictator. He decrees what happens and the only reason we vote is so that the Holy Spirit can work in our hearts and we can say, yes, Lord. That's our opportunity to agree with Jesus. That's the only reason we vote. He doesn't need our vote. He doesn't need our input. He doesn't need our opinion. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need anything from us. But do you know what? He wants us. Isn't it annoying when your spouse is needy? Mine's not. I don't want it to sound that way. That's not what I'm saying. This is just just going off the rails. That's not what I intended this to sound like. (laughs) No, seriously, she's not. If there's anybody needy in our house, it's me. She will corroborate. But every Christian relationship counselor I have seen, heard, studied, says when you counsel couples, you don't want to counsel them that it's ideal for them to need each other. Because eventually, you're going to need something from another person that they just flat don't have to give you. We're finite. And when we need, 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 eventually that's going to cause tension. But man, isn't it great when they want you? I don't need you to be here for this, but I want you to be here with me in this. I don't need you to help me with this, but I want to involve you. Isn't that great? You know, God doesn't need us, but man, He regards us and He wants us. And He calls us in and He says, walk with me. I've got a plan. I want you to come with me. This song's not about Mary. She says, one day all generations are going to call me blessed because the great God who didn't need me but wanted to include me, He looked down on me and said, I've got this plan that I want you to be involved in and I want you to come with me and I want you to play a special part in it. Do you know that God has got a plan like that for every single one of you? Now, it's not the same as Mary's. It's not the same as mine, but you know what? Mine's not the same as yours either. God's plan for you is uniquely God's plan for you. And He wants you. He doesn't need you. But He wants you. He wants you to walk with Him. He wants you to see His plan. He wants you to enjoy that blessing. So that one day you can magnify Him and say, Look what God has done for me. And all the generations will call you blessed because the Mighty One did great things for you. And holy is His name. That's what God wants for you. God is worthy of worship, not because He needs you, but because He wants you. God is worthy of worship because He loves the lowly. Isaiah 57, 15 says, Thus says the High and Lofty One, who inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. James four six and then four ten, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves in the light in sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. If you go to God bragging about how great you are and how much He needs you and everything you could bring to Him and you could bring to the table. We don't bring anything to the table. Jesus literally brought His broken body and shed blood to the table. You can't bring anything greater than that. All He does is just invite you to sit with Him. God is worthy of worship Because He regards the lowly. And then finally, God is worthy of worship because He's merciful. Now this is one of the more crucial lines in Mary's song. She says, His mercy is on those who fear Him from generation to generation. Now the Mighty One has done great things. His name is holy. And the great things He's done are great. Regardless of whether or not we take advantage of them. OK, his name is holy, whether or not we acknowledge it. You know, there's a <clears throat> there's a movie I can't remember. It's a Christmas movie, so it's, it's an appropriate time of year. I've seen multiple movies do this, but there's a movie that that for Santa to function, people have to believe in him. But it's almost like he's got a gas tank and if people don't believe in him, he can't be Santa. For some reason, people think that, that God is like that. that. That if you don't believe in Him, he's just He kind of dwindles away to nothing. He needs your belief. Y'all, He doesn't need your belief to be God. He doesn't need your belief to do God things. He's going to do great things whether or not we take advantage of that. He is going, his name is holy, whether or not we acknowledge it that way. How many of y'all keep an umbrella in your car? What do you do when it rains? You get it out, right? Okay? I've mentioned this in here before because it's goofy to me. I had this teacher in high school whose name I will not name because she told me she got pulled over here once so people might know her. She is a sweetheart of a lady, and I love her to death. She's quirky. And we were watching her one day in class. We were staying after school for something, but she was getting ready to leave. And we look out the window, and it's a torrential downpour. She's walking out to her car, okay? So she walks out of her car in the rain, opens the front door of her car reaches in, pops the trunk, closes the door, walks to her trunk, opens it, opens an umbrella, closes the trunk, walks to the front door of her car, opens it, closes the umbrella, and gets in. (laughs) Now that was a head-scratcher to me if I'd ever seen one. And it took me years to even come up with a potential scenario in which this made sense. Somebody said, well, maybe she had a longer walk later and she wanted to have the umbrella with her so she could get it out. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to tell myself that for the rest of my life because if it's anything other than that, this doesn't make any sense at all. But an umbrella is not any good to you at all if you don't open it, is it? If you just leave the umbrella in your trunk, I've got an umbrella in my car. This umbrella who is mighty can do great things for me and dry is its name, but it stays in my trunk and I've got it. It's available to me, but for some reason, ever I've got the umbrella, I got the exact umbrella everybody told me to get. I put it in my car and I still get wet when it rains outside. Very simplistic, give me answer. Why are you getting wet? Because you haven't opened the umbrella. God is a merciful God. But who does Mary say His mercy is on? Those who fear Him. From generation to generation. Y'all, God is a merciful God. But if you just acknowledge that God is merciful... And you never appropriate that mercy for yourself. If you acknowledge that Jesus saves, but you never come to Jesus for Him to save you, all of His saving work is still true. All of His mercy is still true. You just won't get any benefit from it. You've got to come to Jesus yourself, you've got to ask Him to forgive you yourself. No one can do it for you. If you were sprinkled as a baby, that didn't save you. If your parents added you to a church role when you were a baby, that doesn't save you. If you have never come to Jesus and you have never confessed your sins and you have never said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, save me. Your blood is enough for me. I want to belong to you. You are not saved. You've got to go to him. You've got to fear him personally. The fact that He is a saving God and the fact that He is merciful will not save you or give you mercy if you don't go to the saving, merciful God yourself. From generation to generation, that that promise belongs to everybody who will come to Jesus. Now and until the Lord tarries. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus told a parable, and he spoke a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing far off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That that broken, contrite heart in front of God that says, show your mercy to me, God will never turn down. When you look up at God and say, God, you better let me into heaven or you're going to be missing out. I'm afraid it'll be you who's missing out. Then Acts chapter 2. Peter says to them, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. That this promise... This promise that God will save you if you call on Him belongs not just to you, but it belongs to your children and your grandchildren. Now notice I said salvation doesn't belong to your children and grandchildren. Who has to come to Jesus to be saved? They do. God doesn't have any grandchildren. He's just got kids. If you're saved, that doesn't mean your kids are saved. If your mama was saved, that doesn't mean you are. If your grandma was saved, that doesn't mean you are. You've got to come to Jesus yourself. And now is your opportunity to come to that moment in your life where your spirit can rejoice in God your Savior, where your soul can magnify the Lord because He's done great things for you, and there is no greater thing He could do for you than to save you by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. If you have never given your life to Christ, now is the opportunity. Mark and Joyce are going to lead us in a couple verses of an invitation hymn. And if you want to give your life to Christ, you can, I, I, I'll be glad to help walk you through that. You don't need me for that, but if you say, I don't know how, how this goes, you've got a few different options. You can come down this aisle and say, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I'll set up the time to talk with you either right after the service or this afternoon or sometime this week. If you're scared to walk down the aisle, ashamed of no shame in me and scared of that. Um, You can fill out the guest card on the side of your bulletin and drop that in the awesome plate when it comes by and I will follow up with you. Or you can catch me at the back door if you miss both of those. But I don't want you to leave without giving your life to Christ. I want you to be able to sing the same song that Mary did and say he has done great things for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being a merciful, good, loving God who has done great things for us. Nothing greater than sending His Son. And Lord, that you're not a God who needs us, but you're a God who wants us. But that desire you have for us, you still let us come to you. And if we don't come to you, we miss your mercy, we miss your greatness, we miss your holiness, and we miss...